I just want to talk for a couple minutes tonight because at the end, in about hopefully 10 or 15 minutes, we're going to pray for something very specific. And this topic is um, highly important for every believer, but I believe it's highly unusualized. And that's tragic because this is something that all of us need. Uh, if we took a really um, honest kind of uh, sociologically critical view of the average believer and the average church, um, it wouldn't be hard to come to the conclusion that the majority of believers and the majority of churches are not functioning like the believers in Acts 2. I, I don't think that's an unfair or critical statement. I think it's just observational, and I think it's true. Um, we've talked before about um, the absence of the Spirit's influence, um, which, which shows up in a lack of power, a lack of prayer, lack of unity, uh, and a lack of people genuinely getting saved and discipled. Um, and, and it's in, in its place uh, in, in many churches uh, is an obsession with notoriety, um, controlled services that are, that are coordinated in time down to the minute, um, focus on ourselves rather than on Jesus, and, and kind of a weakened emphasis in the study of the Word of God. In fact, that was interesting. I was talking to a friend of mine tonight who goes um, to another church, good church, um, and he said, you know, I, I grew up Pentecostal, and what kind of concerns me now is in the, in the place that I am, I see that influence uh, and, and emphasis on the Spirit diminishing, and I see a lot of stuff taking place, and we had an interesting, I didn't expect the conversation with this friend, and we had a nice long 15-minute talk about the Holy Spirit. I said, Tim, should you say that because I'm talking about that tonight? And, um, you know, it's just, I, I think the, the effect of this, as we've lessened this, the Holy Spirit, less an emphasis on the Holy Spirit because some people are kind of freaked out by that. They don't know what to do with it and what, what does that mean. It's, it, it's not. It's, it's the Spirit of Christ, right? The Spirit of Christ is the Holy Spirit. So if we're freaked out by Christ, then we've got issues, okay? If Jesus is wonderful and precious to us, then his Spirit should be wonderful and precious to us. And the problem is, as this has happened, this alteration of purpose in, in Christianity and in churches, it now affects the people who attend because instead of being really challenged to change and strengthened by uh, our faith and our resolve, many believers are now kind of biblically illiterate and they're soft in their convictions and the prayer life is, is basically non-existent. So our maturity and our impact upon the world is limited at best. A very large part of the reason for this is because the Holy Spirit has been misunderstood and marginalized. And essentially, he's been pushed aside for man's technique. And by doing that, instead of being absolutely at the center of everything that we do, because Jesus said in Acts 1.8, when you receive the Spirit, you'll receive what? Tell me. Power. So if we're powerless, what does that tell us? If the church is not effective in reaching people genuinely for Christ, discipling them, training them, sending them out, if the church isn't doing that, then there's no power, and if there's no power, there's no spirit. So any study of Acts, any study of the New Testament will tell you that that's true and will tell you that the recipe that we're using right now is not what the Lord has called us to do. It is not. We're trying to make a cake, if you'll excuse the metaphor. We're trying to make a cake without including the eggs and the flour. 
And how are you going to make a cake if you don't have the eggs and the flour? So if you'll allow that illustration, the Holy Spirit is what binds it all together. The Holy Spirit is what makes it savory, so to speak. So if we leave out him, we're just throwing together baking soda. You ever had a baking soda cake? Not tasty, all right? You've got to have all the ingredients, and the Holy Spirit is at the middle of that. Now, this is throughout Scripture. It's shown Corinth is probably the greatest example of the Holy Spirit being marginalized and everything going nuts. People are being proud. They're misusing their gifts. They hate each other. They're disunified. They're in sin. It's a mess. You read through the book of 1 Corinthians, you see a church without the Spirit. If you look at Laodicea, which we studied a couple weeks ago, you see a church that doesn't care about the Holy Spirit. And when you see a church that doesn't care about the Holy Spirit, it was pretty obvious how the Lord feels about that, right? I'll vomit you out of my mouth. So what do we do? Because I, I'm just one guy. I can't change the American church by myself. I can preach sermons and hopefully people listen to them and people get stirred up. And but, but I can't change the American church. You can't change the American church. So what do we do? Because you and I certainly can make a difference and we can make sure that we are obeying the Lord. We can make sure that we are giving credit to the Holy Spirit and we can make sure that we are praying because what happens? How does revival always start? Tell me, revival people. Always starts with prayer. You look at any revival, the Azusa Street revival, the revival in England, the uh, revival that took place at some colleges a couple years ago, any revival, every revival starts with prayer. And it almost always starts with just a few people. It is never, hey, let's get 10,000 people together in a stadium and let's pray and revival will break out. You look at the, 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 the past people that were men and women of prayer. Daniel Nash, if you ever get biography of Daniel Nash, read it, okay? He would go into town before Charles Finney. He'd pray for four or five days, locked in a room, calling on the Lord with a couple other believers. Finney would come into town on his horse, preach thousands and get saved. It wasn't because Finney was a great speaker, and he was. It was because Daniel Nash was praying. So if we're going to turn the tide in our country, if we're going to turn the tide as a church and be a church of influence in this neighborhood, it's going to start with us, just a few, calling on the Lord and believing Him. So what does that look like? Well, look at Acts chapter 2. This will be real familiar to you guys. And let's just get a couple thoughts here, and then in a couple minutes we're going to pray real fervently, okay? Acts 2 verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. There appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Then if you drop down to verse 14, people hear this, and they're from all over the nations because it's Pentecost, they're all in Jerusalem. And it says in verse 14, Peter, taking a stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declare to them. Now, I've studied this passage many, many times. I'm not saying that to brag. I'm saying this is familiar. But I never saw one word as clearly as I saw it the other day. I was listening to an old message by Pastor Simler Brooklyn Tabernacle from 2002. I found some tapes. I had an hour in the car. I thought, I'm going to listen to old tape. And he was preaching about um, something kind of related to this. And, and he said something, and it clicked with me. I said, i got to go and study that. Look at verse 2. There's one word here. It says, when the Spirit of God came at Pentecost, 
there was a sound like a what? Tell me the next word. Violent rushing wind. There was a violent rushing wind that filled the whole house, and then the disciples had fire over their heads, and they began to speak in foreign languages. Now, we know that account well. I hope you know that account well. You've said Acts 2 before. But what struck me this week is why the sound was like a violent wind. Now, our logic would tell us that this was a wonderful time of being filled with the Holy Spirit, especially after they've endured so much emotional trauma, right? Because Jesus got arrested, Jesus got crucified, all hope seemed lost, and then they experienced the joy of, of seeing him risen, uh, risen again, and then he goes away. In the last 40, 50 days, they've been through the full gamut, I mean as full a gamut of emotions as you can possibly experience. So maybe it would be nice when the Holy Spirit finally comes to be kind of a gentle, refreshing breeze, like when you're sitting on a tropical beach somewhere and the, the wind just, close your eyes, feel this, the wind just kind of blowing across the waves and you're under the palm trees and there's a warm sun. Okay, let's, let's stop and we're just going to get on a plane to Fiji, right, okay? Just a nice, cool, they're sitting in the upper room and they're praying and, and just a nice little breeze. That's not how it was. We have to ask ourselves, because every word's important, right? Why was it a violent wind? Now, the only explanation I can come up with that makes sense is the disciples needed the sound of a violent wind. Because there's no way this is accidental, right? Holy Spirit doesn't waste a single word in Scripture. So, so the word violent there is for a reason. There must have been a spiritual lesson they needed. You want to know what it was? How many are intrigued to know what it was? Because I was intrigued to know what it was. Well, let's look at what happens real quick when a violent wind blows and the effects it has. And when we do that, we can get a couple spiritual insights that I think will make us want to pray for this. So let's establish three real quick characteristics of a strong wind and then see the spiritual parallel, okay? What does a strong wind do? Number one, a violent wind has the power to clean out what's dirty, okay? Now, one of the things I hate most in life is to clean out my garage. Hate it. Hate it. Don't want to do it. When Julie says, let's clean out the garage, I'm like, well, I'm busy. I've got a church is calling me. Listen, Lord, Paul, come to church. It's one of those jobs that's annoying because you got bikes and mowers and tools and empty boxes from Amazon Prime and whatever. And it's a hassle to go through it all and clean it out and snow blowers and rakes. It's just, it's, it's a pain. This year I did it in February because it was like, you know, 55 degrees. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go out. So it was warmer then than it is now in May. I love Wisconsin. And, and, and I was really proud because I spent a whole day and I cleaned out that garage and it looked good. And when I had gotten everything out in the driveway, because that's what you have to do, right? You have to take everything out, 19 bikes and my snowblower and my mower and, and boxes and, and junk and whatever. I got it all out in the driveway. And then what did I do? I put it all back in. Nope. First, I took my blower and I plugged it in. And I blowed in the corners. I'm getting everything. Dust is flying. I'm allergic to dust, which is really helpful. So dust is flying. Cobwebs are going everywhere. But, but all the leaves, all the junk got out. I got it all cleaned out because I don't want to walk on that dirt, and I don't want to track that dirt into the carpet of my house. But that wouldn't happen if I just stood in the center of my garage after everything was out 
on the driveway, and I went, that going to clean out anything? I got to get a big honking machine, right? Plugging that boy into the wall, and I turn it on, it makes an awful sound. But it has the power to clean. I thought about that because some Christians try to deal with the sin in their lives by standing in the middle and going, and we wonder why it's not going away. But David says to God in Psalm 51, he doesn't say, Lord, I'm going to make a half-hearted effort to kind of clean out, kind of confess some stuff so you can work a little bit, but I'm still going to hold on to some sin because I, I, it means a lot to me and I just, I need it. So, so I'm going to kind of blow out some of that stuff, Lord, and, and I want you to just help me. He says, search me and clean me thoroughly. What is he saying? He's saying, Holy Spirit, blow a violent wind in my life. Expose anything that's hidden and take away anything that isn't helping me and is hindering my walk. Now, in the same way, I wouldn't leave a box of my, my most precious pictures or a tray of really important screws that I'm going to need for a project. I wouldn't leave that laying out in the center while I'm using the blower, right? Because if I do that, it's all going to fly away. So what did I do before I got the blower out? I secured anything that was loose. I secured anything that was unsteady. That requires spiritually us to be honest and intentional in evaluating what in my life is strong spiritually, what is strongly anchored spiritually, and what is weak and wobbly. Because if I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to do the work of cleansing, he'll do that work of cleansing. So I need some wisdom to say, Lord, what needs to be anchored in? Peter says later in his second sermon, you can look at it later in chapter 3, the time of refreshing will come from the refreshing in a couple of minutes. But first there has to be repentance. Now, so the first work of a violent wind is the power to clean out what's dirty. Second work of a violent wind is it has the power to tear down what's not strong. You may have seen the pictures from Texas this week where they had some tornadoes. They blew away cars and trees and houses that weren't strong. You ever noticed how tornadoes always go after mobile homes? Do you think that's because God hates mobile homes or because mobile homes don't have a foundation? They're not anchored in. Wind is powerful. I've experienced that. I've lived through two devastating, massive hurricanes. 1989 Hurricane Hugo, I was living in Charlotte. It came up the East Coast. It entered in in South Carolina, and it didn't stop when it hit the coast. It kept going. 100 miles inland in Charlotte, we got hit with 140-mile-an-hour winds. It was powerful. It was, it was about three months after Julie and I got married, and we're in our nice little new home, and, and, and now I've got 14 30-foot pine trees falling like matchsticks in my yard. Now, somehow, they all miss my little house. But for a week, we were out there in the hot, humid air using my neighbor's chainsaw to cut them up and make firewood. It wasn't the rain that knocked those trees down. I've never seen it rain like that. It was the wind. It wasn't the rain that knocked out power for two weeks. It was the wind. See, wind is able to discern what is not strong, and it tears it down. And if something's not deeply rooted or it doesn't have a good, deep foundation, the wind will deal with it. Now, we obviously see the spiritual parallel, right? 
Because the Bible says to be rooted and built up in faith. It says to build the foundation of your walk on sand. Yes? No? No. What do we build it on? Rock. When I bought that house, I looked at all the pine trees. I'm like, oh, that is a great piece. Look how tall those are, like three stories high. And I thought they would be really strong. What I didn't realize is that pine trees don't root in like oak trees and elm trees. Pine trees have a weak root system. So when you've got that sandy, clay-like stuff you have in North Carolina that's red, it doesn't hold on to a pine tree because a pine tree is not rooted and the soil's not strong enough. So when the wind came, the trees fell down. Listen, there are times when the violent wind of the Spirit will blow and that they'll tear down what's not strong in our lives. And that may not seem desirable, but it is necessary. And we say, well, Paul, that's kind of harsh. I mean, why would the, why would the, spirit of the uh, wind of the Spirit be destructive? But see, here's the thing. Unlike nature, where the wind is indiscriminate, the wind of the Holy Spirit is controlled and targeted and purposeful. And you and I and this church needs to pray for that work of renovation in our lives because we a lot of times place our confidence falsely in things like those pine trees that seem steady and strong, but, but they're not. They're just false. They're really like saplings. I think that's why we look back at the text real quick. In verse 2, the sound was a violent rushing wind because remember 50 days before, the disciples still didn't understand what Jesus was doing. And when he got arrested, what did they do? They ran and they denied him with cursing. So they needed some time to kind of grow into this. They're still learning. So the spirit of God doesn't just come as, the spirit of come comes as a violent wind. Third reason, we'll pray. One more reason we need to see. A violent wind has the power to refresh and energize us. See, a strong wind clears things out like the blower and the tornadoes, but it can also revive our spirits and stimulate our thinking. Think of it this way. When you're on the beach on vacation and there's a gentle breeze, close your eyes, and the seagulls are squawking, and you notice the theme tonight with me, and it's quiet, and you're laying back on the lounge chair. <laughs> Ocean's in and out. Seagulls are flying, the sand's warm on your toes. What do you want to do? Right now you're going, I just want to sleep, right? Lay back in that chair. <laughs> it doesn't energize you, but the wind is stronger and it blows. You may not be able to read a newspaper like how I was trying to read the newspaper. It's flying around. I'm like, I'm so stupid. But when that wind blows, I guarantee you feel more alive. And you feel more active. And what does the wind do? It stirs up the waves. You're like, I'm going to go play in the waves. Or I'm going to go fly a kite. In fact, usually when the wind's blowing strongly, I find myself being more refreshed and having greater clarity in my thoughts and even getting wisdom and insight that I didn't have before that wouldn't come when the breeze is just gentle. I was thinking today about the way, and we'll, we'll do another study another day, but the way the Lord uses wind in the Bible. He blew back the waters of the Red Sea so they could walk through on dry ground. And he showed his power and his presence to Moses on Sinai with the wind. And he increased the wind as the storm came. And Elijah came down from Mount Carmel and ran back to Jerusalem. And he gave David direction at Baal Perazim when David said, should I attack? I don't know what to do. And God said, wait for the sound of wind on the top of the balsam trees. 
and I'll tell you when you're supposed to go. So in each set, in each instance, there was a clear sense of God's presence and God's power and God's leading. And those who experienced that violent wind, look at verse 2 one more time. Those who experienced that were refreshed and they were stirred to action, just like Peter in verse 14. It's not just Peter, it's all of them. You ever notice that? It's not just Peter, impulsive Peter. Hey, hey, I got something to say. Something to say. Shh, everybody quiet down. He's just the one speaking. All of them are standing behind him. There are 120 in Acts 1. They're all standing there. Men, brethren, listen, shh, stop. You want to know what's going on with us? Let me tell you. All of us are evidence of what Christ has done. See, when the violent wind came, it stirred them. And how many of us believe that we need that kind of spiritual wind in our lives right now? That we need that kind of spiritual wind in our church as we have the opportunity to influence this area for Christ. There's going to be a lot of challenges. Listen, the enemy's already fighting. Opposition, discouragement, doubt, I've dealt with them all this week. So I need more and more of the Holy Spirit. I need his spiritual refreshing. I need him to, I need him to blow and be strong and at times to be violent, to get the junk out and clear me out and get me ready and energize me for the work.